And if you want to, you can turn to Hebrews 11, 6. We're going to bounce around in a couple of places today, but Hebrews 11, 6 is what's in my mind. But I was thinking back on the messages we've heard over the past uh, few weeks. Um, sometimes you can look back and you can see how a kind of a common theme emerges from, from messages, and that's been true for these last ones. It seems to be this common thread that's running through them. That thread is faith. Uh, we've been talking a lot about faith. Um, if you remember, thank you, brother. If you remember, two weeks ago we preached on drifting away from the faith, and then last week we preached on being bold in the faith, and that that wasn't by design, um, but I'm certain that it was in the foreknowledge of God that maybe we needed those things, um, that maybe something would be coming down the road here soon and that we would need a, a, a bolder faith and a stronger faith. And as I was thinking about those things, I was thinking about this verse of Scripture, Hebrews eleven six. This is what it says. It says, But without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Yeah. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Amen? Yeah. And I, I'm sure you remember I've preached this to you multiple times. Uh, over the over the years, but um, just in case you need it again, I'll remind you that the simplest definition of faith is trust. Right? It's it's a simple faith is simply trusting in God. It's not a mystical force. It's not something that's out there that you can't have. It's trusting in God, trusting in His faithfulness, trusting in His word. Uh, trusting in the promises that are written there, the commandments that are written there, the warnings that are written there. It's trusting in His grace, in His mercy, in His salvation. That's what faith is. It's trusting in God. Now, that's the inward life of a believer. It's a life that's lived by faith of trusting God more and more as time goes along. I believe so much of what sanctification is, is it's learning to trust God more and more. Over the course of my Christian life, I've learned to trust God more and more. It's a place where you begin to let go of self-sufficiency and independence and all the things that we're told that we should have in this life, that you can depend on yourself and trust in yourself and you don't need anybody else. That's that's the opposite of faith. That works against faith. Faith is when we begin to see that we are totally dependent, but not on someone else, but other than God Himself. We're dependent upon God for everything. I, I, you have to learn, if you're going to live a life of faith, you have to learn not to trust in your feelings, not to trust in your heart, not to trust in your own thoughts, but you trust in God and in His Word and nothing else. That's where we get faith. We trust. And then I thought about that scripture and he says it's not just that, that, that it's impossible to please God without faith, but he said he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I thought about that word diligently. You know, to be diligent means to be steady and earnest and energetic means to take painstaking effort. So inwardly the believer is trusting God more and more. And that inward trust is creating this desire to seek and to know God even more. 
In other words, the more I learn about God, the more I know about God, the more I want to learn about God, and the more I desire to know about God. So, so that's that diligent seeking. Listen, I, I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how long you've been uh, 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 teaching and preaching and pastoring and all those things. It doesn't matter. No matter how much you know about God today, you've only scratched the surface of who God really is. His greatness, His awesome power, His, His thoughts, all these things. And you should desire to know more and more about Him. And that desire should begin to lead you to this diligent effort, this outward life. The inward life is the life of faith and the outward life is that one of diligently seeking Him to know more. I like the way Proverbs 13.4 says it. It talks about this diligence. It says the soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing. But the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Notice he's talking about the soul. The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing. But the soul of the diligent man shall be made rich. I don't know about you this morning, but I want a rich soul. I, I, I want a soul. And listen, I'm not talking about financials. I'm not talking about... I'm talking about a spiritual richness, a soul richness, rich in the knowledge of God, rich in the love of God, rich in the peace of God that our brother sung about, rich in the joy of God, rich in relationship with God. I want a soul that's rich in fellowship with God. That's the richness that comes from a man that's diligently seeking God. So when I read that scripture, and, I'm, and I am going somewhere this morning, but when I read that scripture, my mind reads it this way. I read, unless I trust God, it's impossible for me to please God. Would you agree with that? Amen. For anybody that comes to God must first truly believe that He is who He says that He is. Amen? Amen. You can make up a God, but that's not the God of the Scripture. He says if you want to come to this God, you must believe that He is who He says He is. Amen? And then He rewards those who steadily and earnestly and energetically seek to know Him more and more, even when it's hard. That's the way I read that Scripture when I read Hebrews 11. Six. Some people make a, a, a long story short. I have a tendency to make a short story long. Right? But that's okay because I like to get down in the weeds of it. I like to understand it. I, I wonder when I say those things this morning, when I say it's a, uh, if I don't trust God, it's impossible for me to please God, and, and I've got to believe that God is who He says that He is, and I've got to believe that He rewards those who energetically, earnestly, and steadily seek Him, even when it's hard to do that, I wonder, does that describe your life this morning? Is that the way you're living? Is your life a life of faith in God, of continual, diligent seeking to know God more? Brethren, that's the life that God rewards. I think about the words of Christ to the church there in the book of Revelations. I believe it's chapter 2 in there somewhere. I don't have it on the screen. Uh, verse 10 maybe. He says, 
Be faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. Amen. Faithful. We've got a lot of solid examples in the Scripture. Hebrews 11 is full of examples of people who live this kind of life of faith and diligence. But today I just want to look at one example. And it's the example of the Apostle Paul. Paul's life was one of faith and our life has to be one of faith. Do you agree with that? Paul's a great example of someone that trusted in God. Someone that knew God, but diligently sought to know God more and more throughout his life. For, for Paul, his life was Christ. Christ wasn't a part of Paul's life. He, he wasn't something that, that Paul did on Sundays, right? He, uh, Christianity wasn't a, a thing to Paul. It was a life to Paul. So many professing Christians today, so many people today, Christ is just a part of their ever busy life. They've got, they've got, I think about Paul and I think, you wouldn't say Paul was a tent maker and a Christian. You'd say Paul was a Christian that made tents. Right? And so many people today, we know them by their careers, we know them by their titles, we know them by their money, by their politics, by their pro Facebook profiles, by whatever else you want to look at. But Paul was known because he trusted Christ. That's the way I want my life to be. I want, I want my life to be Christ. Paul, listen, I'm not making that up about Paul. Paul said it about himself, right? He said, to live is Christ. He said it, it is through Him, it is through Christ that we live and move, yeah. have our being. Amen? He said in one place, He said, it is no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. Yeah. Paul's whole life was in Christ. He said, my life is hid in Christ. But Paul didn't begin that way, did he? I was thinking about the brother's song. Right? When he, when he began to tell us about how God had to strip down Paul's vision so that he couldn't see, he struck him blind. But you see, that's the way that Paul began. The Scripture says, I believe it's in Acts chapter 9, that Paul was breathing out threats and murder against all the Lord's disciples. He was arresting and killing all the followers of Jesus that he could until one day the Lord appeared to Paul Himself. When the resurrected Christ came and appeared to and spoke to Paul, Paul saw Him with his own eyes. And then the Lord struck him blind for three days. And then Christ sent a man to him to lay hands upon him that he might receive his sight and be filled with the Spirit. Amen? Now listen to me this morning. The reason I tell you that story is because it doesn't matter what your life has been. You could name all the sins that you've ever committed. You could think yourself to be too much of a wretch for God to save or for God to use. But what I'm telling you this morning is everything I see in the Scripture is that your past does not determine your ability to be saved. And it most certainly does not determine your usefulness to God. 
in the scripture I see thieves and drunkards and, and adulterers and liars and murderers. Uh, but I see a God who saved them and changed them and used them. You remember when, when Paul lists those things out and he said all these things, drunkards and liars and homosexuals and thieves and, other, and what did Paul say? Paul said, and such were some of you. But, but you were redeemed. You were bought with the price. You were changed. You were given grace. Amen? You may be listening this morning, maybe in this church, maybe online, I don't know, but you've not surrendered your life to Christ in faith. You're holding on to your past. You're doubting that God would save someone like you. I want you to know this morning, take a look at Paul and see that it's never too late to be saved. Never too late. You've not gone too far where the Lord's hand can't reach you. And you say, well, preacher, I know that. Right? I, I, I know how bad I've, I've sinned. But here's what I'll tell you this morning. It's true that you don't deserve to be saved. Neither did I, neither does anybody else. We didn't deserve to be saved. Uh, Paul didn't deserve the grace of God. He didn't earn the grace of God. But God gave him grace. Amen? Was Paul looking for the Lord? Or was the Lord looking for Paul? Amen? I'm just telling you. Paul was on the he was on the road to, he said, sending out letters that he might go find more Christians to kill them. But the Lord was after Paul. And the Lord's after some of you today. Amen? The Lord will get after you. He'll come and He'll find you. He said He would leave the 99 and go after the one. He doesn't say the one comes back and tries to find him. He said He goes and finds the one. Amen? Amen. I'm preaching. You may be not picking it up, Amen. but I'm preaching. it. That's why it's grace. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that you're saved this morning. It's the only way to be saved. I, I think you could look at Paul's conversion and be encouraged to believe that God can save anyone, even me, even you, even Paul. Paul even said of himself, he said, I'm the chief of all sinners. But not so much that he couldn't be saved. Amen? You might say, well, I believe that, preacher. I believe God can save me. But with my past, He'll never use me. Oh, friend, God used Paul in mighty ways. He used Paul in big ways to spread the gospel, to build churches, to do all kinds of work for His kingdom. The Bible that you're looking at this morning in your lap was mostly written by the Apostle Paul. Trust me, God can use you. You just got to let Him have control of your life. He'll do things with it you never dreamed He could do. Paul experienced the power of the Gospel. And then he set out to share that power with the whole world. But now listen, you need to hear this. It came with cost. 
I know we like the, the signs and the sayings that say salvation is free. And listen, friends, salvation is free. But there is a cost in following Christ. Amen. Make sure that you know that this morning. Paul suffered. Paul lost his reputation with the world. He lost his earthly treasures. He lost his friends. It came with a cost. And following the Lord will cost you too. You say, well, what's it going to cost? Well, the simplest way to sum it up is, is it's going to cost you your life. Yeah. Do you know what Paul said after his conversion? He was living this life by faith. He was loving Christ. He was diligently seeking the Lord. He was laboring for the Lord. He was suffering for the Lord. And this is what he said. He said, I count all of it. It's done. Rubbish. All the things that he lost. All his worldly reputation that he so strictly held to before. All the education and all the earthly things that he had. He said it's all worthless compared to the righteousness of Christ which comes through faith. Amen? Man, I wonder if that's our heart this morning. Is that really our attitude? Are we so enamored by this grace, by this righteousness that comes from Christ that we couldn't wait to get to worship this morning? Was you excited this morning to get to worship? I tell you right now, you're not excited right now. <laughs> that's okay to be. But I'm asking you this morning, was you excited to get to come and to worship the God who bathed you and clothed you in His own righteousness? washed you in His blood, who covered your sins. The only reason that you even get to exist today was because of this God. The only reason that you get to call yourself a Christian today is because of what Christ did. The only hope of heaven that you have today is because of Christ. The only reason you can pray today is because of Christ. The only reason that you can do anything today is because of Christ. And I wonder this morning when you got up, did that thrill your heart? Or did you say, well, I guess I got to go to church it's Sunday. Might think it's, listen, you might think it's a joke, but I'm telling you, I know all kinds of Christians this morning who, who profess to love God, yet they feel everything is a burden to them. Friends, if this is a burden, you're in trouble. When a real burden comes, you're out. Like so many before. This was Paul's confidence. This was his conviction. This was his life. He was a man of faith. He was a diligent seeker of the Lord. And I wonder if that describes us or if Christ is just a little thing we do. On Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, when it's convenient, when we're around the right people, when we're inside the bubble, right? You put me in a church full of Christians, I'll act like a Christian. You put me inside of a room with a bunch of worldly people, and I'll act like a worldly person. I'm describing most people's Christian life. Paul. Listen, he had committed his life to the Lord. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Listen to what he says, verse 12. He says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know in whom I have believed. 
And I am persuaded that He's able to keep what I have committed to Him until that day. To keep what I have committed. You know what Paul had committed to Him? His life. His soul. Everything that He was, Paul gave it to the Lord. He was not ashamed. He knew the Lord. He knew who He believed in. He was fully persuaded. He completely trusted in Christ. And guys, that's the faith that we need to have. That's what your life has to be. Now you may not have the same experiences as Paul in your life, but you do have to have the same faith as Paul, the same belief and the same trust that Paul had. This faith is a universal faith for all Christians to have. And without it, it's impossible to please God. But you know what? Let me tell you my second point here. Paul had to fight for faith. And we'll have to fight for it too. I don't want to paint a picture that life of, that living in faith is an easy thing. It's not easy. Faith is powerful. Faith pleases God. Listen, God uses people that have faith. And so you have to fight to grow your faith, to protect your faith, to keep the faith. Listen to how Paul describes it to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, fight the good fight of faith. It's a fight. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I, I want you to know this morning, and I'm sure you know it already, but there is a war that's taking place. Whether you're actively fighting in it or not, does it change the reality that it's actually happening even as we speak this morning, every day of your life, uh, today, tomorrow, and the days to come, if you're a true Christian, you're in a spiritual battle. Now notice I said if you're a true Christian. There's lots of professing Christians who know nothing about this war. They know nothing about this struggle, this fight for faith. They know nothing about what it means to have to wrestle against uh, principalities and powers and all these things. They don't know anything about that. And the reason is, is because they're not in the faith anyways. Because you can't be in the faith and not have this experience. Every true believer knows and understands that this is a real war. And it begins the moment you're saved and it never ends. One, one of the things I've got to witness over the years is how quickly after a person gives their life to Christ, how quickly the difficulties begin to come. I try to be faithful to warn people. So, listen, they'll come back and they'll say, I, 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 I want... Christ as my Savior, I, 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 I want this, I, I want to make this, I want to be a Christian. And I'll say, that's wonderful. And listen, we'll pray and we'll, we'll talk about it and we'll, we'll get down together and pray. But I always try to warn them, as when you get up, the war begins. This is when the battle begins. Hardships begin to come, difficulties temptations, sufferings, trials of all sorts begin to flood in from every direction. It, listen, it's 
almost immediately that that happens. Why? Why does that happen? Well, they come in an attempt to destroy your faith. That's what they want to do. See, I believe we're in a real warfare with some real enemies. Now, listen, I'm not talking about just some figurative language in the scripture. I'm not saying, oh, well, when it says when it says there's a spiritual war, it just means this spirit. No, it means there's a literal spiritual war that's taking place. And I believe you need to recognize that and you need to prepare yourself for the battles every single day. Yeah. I'm always surprised when a, when a Christian who's been a Christian for a while seems, and listen, I've, I've been on this side of it too, but when they seem so surprised that some horrible thing has happened or when some hardship comes their way and they act like they can't believe it happened, what did you expect? Yeah. If you're serving the Lord, these things are happening. There's a real warfare taking place. There's some real enemies in your faith. Let me give you the three enemies of your faith. First, the, the, the warfare, the first enemy is the flesh. You're going to face war against the flesh. Everybody should recognize today if you've been saved that Christ has giving you a new heart, right? The, the doctrine of regeneration. We find it in Ezekiel 36. I will take out your old heart. I'll put a new heart in you. I'll give you a new spirit. I'll write my laws upon your heart. These are things that God does for us. So we have a, a new heart and a new spirit. But we also have to realize this morning that we're saved souls living in bodies of death. We're still prone to sin. We're no longer slaves of sin, but we're still drawn to sin. Romans chapter 7 describes it beautifully. Look at verses 21 through 24. Paul said, I, I, I find then a law that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. That's that man of faith we were talking about earlier. He said, I, I delight in the law of God, but yet I see another law in my members. That member means body. I see another law in my body warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity. It's the law of sin which is in my members. still there. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? See, James says the same thing. Listen to what James says in chapter 4, verse 1. He said, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? That means your body. So we have to do battle against this body, against this flesh. We fight against it, amen? We battle against the works of the flesh. Paul's even so good to us this morning that he tells us some of the works of the flesh and what some of them are in Galatians chapter 5. This is what he says. He said the works of the flesh are evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness. Those are all sexual immorality. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred. Listen. Listen to something. Listen. Some of us look at that and we'll say, well, 
I ain't committing adultery. I'm good. <laughs> Listen, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. You say, I'm still in good shape, Bill. I don't have no problem with those. Well, listen, I'll give you one that catches you. Selfish ambitions. Dissensions. Heresies. These are the works of the flesh. Amen? Envy. Murders. Drunkenness. Revelries. And the like. He, he puts the and the like at the end so that he, you know it, that's not an exhaustive list. Anything like that even is a work of the flesh. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. How do we fight? We fight with faith. It's a fight for faith and we fight with faith and we do it through repentance. Remember what Christ said? When it comes to these sins, you may be struggling with one of these sins this morning. You know what he said? He said, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. What's he talking about in those scriptures? He's talking about repentance. He's talking about cutting sin out of your life. You fight through repentance. You fight through studying God's Word. You fight through prayer. You fight through self-discipline. We do it all not in our own strength because we fail miserably. We do it with the help of the Holy Spirit that He's given to us. Paul said to walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. In Romans, he told the church there in Rome, he said... To present your body a living sacrifice. Your body a living sacrifice. This is the fight with our flesh. It's, our flesh is an enemy. We all, listen, you say, well, I just want to get, I just wish I could get rid of that. But well, let me tell you the only way you get rid of that fight is you die. Because you're going to be in this flesh all the way to the end. So you have to learn, like Paul said, Paul said, I bring my body under subjection. I discipline myself in such a way that even though I have these desires, I don't practice them. Christians need to hear that today. Just because you want to do something really bad doesn't mean you get to do something. Amen? Just because something feels right doesn't mean it is right. Now there's a second enemy. We have the world as an enemy. There's a desire in the heart of people to live in friendship with the world. To live the way others are living. To look the way others are looking. To do what others are doing. To behave the way others behave. But James addresses this one too. He says, adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain that the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? That Spirit does not want to share you with the world. And He won't. Now listen, let's be honest this morning. Sometimes, maybe you're better at this one than I am. 
But sometimes there's a real strong desire to be a part of this world. To follow the same path that everybody else is following. To have the same things that everybody else has. To look the same way that everybody else looks. To do all the same things that everybody else does. This is a part of the fact that we face every single day. We are called to come out from among the world and to be a separate people. We are called in Romans again, same scripture, not to be conformed to this world. We're called to let our lights shine before men, to live humbly, to pursue peace, to give thanks in every circumstance. These are things we're called to do to display the fruits of the Spirit, to live in submission to the Lordship of Christ. This is the opposite of what the world teaches. That's what Paul meant in Galatians 6 when he said, God forbid that I should boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me. Has the world been crucified to you? And he said, and I to the world. The world is our second enemy. We're fighting every day against our flesh. We're fighting every day against the world. And then we have a third enemy. We fight against the devil. Who, by the way, is always seeking whom he may devour. Always desiring to sift each one of us like we always trying to influence, always trying to lead us astray, always trying to tell the same old lies and deception that he's always used. He'll sow seeds of doubt in your mind. He'll try every way to get you to depart from the faith. So that you won't be pleasing to God. He, he seeks to make you proud hearted. How many of you believe that? He wants you to be proud. He wants you to be angry. He wants to fill your heart with hate. He wants to make you jealous. He wants to make you feel sorry for yourself. He wants to make you envious and discontent. He'll try to get you to believe any lie he can tell. He'll try to use you to lie to others. He'll do everything He can to discourage you, to make you doubt, to get you angry with God, to get you angry with God's church. He wants to ruin your testimony. He wants to cover your life. He wants to drive you away from faith. He wants to stop you from diligently seeking Christ. And listen, He's done it to countless people before you. Countless people found themselves shipwrecked because they believed His lies and they followed His ways and they listened to His voice. There's countless numbers of professing believers sitting at home today unwilling to be in fellowship with God's church because of bitterness, unforgiveness, and hurt. And they believed a lie. They let the enemy deceive and trick them. He's tricked so many. He's deceived so many. He attacks day in and day out. And you have to fight against it. The scripture said you have to take up the shield of faith. Amen. So that you can stop those darts that he's throwing in your direction. Be on guard. Be vigilant, the scripture says. The devil's constantly looking for a foothold in your life. In Ephesians, I don't have it on the screen, he says not to give place to the devil. 
In James, he said, submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Amen. But draw nigh unto God and he'll draw near unto you. Amen? Amen. So just assuredly as we have to have the faith of Paul, we have to fight the same fight to keep that faith. Amen? Amen. Now let me give you the last thing. Are you getting weary yet and tired? Yeah. One last thing. I was impressed this morning that Paul called it a good fight. Fight the good fight of faith. You see, we're in a war. We're in a war with the flesh. We're in a world war with the world. We're in a war with the devil. We're in this spiritual battle. And we have to take up the armor of God and fight every single day. We've got to be strong and courageous. Bold as lions, wise as serpents, gentle as doves, the Scripture said. We've got to be firmly rooted and grounded in faith. We've got to trust in the living God. But it's so easy to get discouraged in the battles. And we've got to remember, Paul said, this is a good fight. Do you know why I think he said it's good? Because it already has an established end. It's a good fight. Listen, it's, it's, not, it's not hard. It's not as hard to go to war when you know you're guaranteed to win. Amen? Guaranteed the victory. Guaranteed the victory. This is a fight that we're going to win not because we're strong, not because we're mighty, not because we're godly, but because the captain of our salvation has already defeated these things. He's already defeated the flesh. He's already defeated the world. He's already defeated the devil. And while we still fight these wars below, the end for us will be glorious because we keep the faith. Imagine, just imagine what Christ has in store for us in the new heaven and the new earth. Imagine the treasures that are untold for those who have labored here for His name's sake, for those that have suffered here for His name. Just imagine, it makes every battle worth fighting. If you can just think about what's ahead, if you get your eyes to focus on the life to come, on your eternal inheritance, it changes everything about this world. Listen, I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm, I, I know I, many times in my life I've gotten battle weary. It's easy to get tired. And so we've got to go to the place where we can draw strength. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 6, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, not your own. Where can you be strong at? In the Lord. In the power of His might. My, one of my favorites is Psalm 61. When you're discouraged and beat down and you feel like uh, you're just exhausted from the battles, this is a good psalm to go to because listen to what he says. He says, Hear my cry, O God, and attend to my prayer. Now listen, he says, From the end of the earth I cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Amen. 
Amen? Lead me to that place, right? And, and listen, he said, For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. Those enemies that we just talked about. He said, I will just abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Amen? Amen. Listen to the way I'm almost done. Listen to the way one old preacher said. He said, Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ's person, work, and office is the life, heart, and mainspring of the Christian soldier's character. He sees by faith an unseen Savior who loved Him and gave Himself for Him, who paid His debts for Him, who bore His sins, who carried His transgression, who rose again for Him and appears in heaven for Him as His advocate at the right hand of God. Seeing this Savior and trusting in Him, He feels peace and hope and willingly goes to battle against the foes, the foes of His soul every day. He sees his own many sins. I see mine. His weak heart. He sees a tempting world and a busy devil. And if he looked only at them, he would well despair. But he sees also a mighty Savior. An interceding Savior. A sympathizing Savior. Whose blood and righteousness. Who has an everlasting priesthood. And he believes that all of this is his own. Believing this, he cheerfully fights on with a full confidence that he will prove to be more than a conqueror through him that loved him. Amen? Amen. Amen. We've got, guys, we've got the ultimate weapon. We've got the best armor. We've got a strong tower, a place of refuge. We've got the mighty wings of God to hide under when we're discouraged. When we get overwhelmed, we can go to the rock. Well, what is the rock? Christ is the rock. We can go back to Him time and time again. Listen, you may be fighting hard this morning. I don't know your circumstance. You may be in the middle of a difficult battle in life. You, you, you need to take heart this morning. You've been given the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, you're going to stumble. Yes, you're going to have troubles. But listen, you will not fail ultimately. You may hurt, but you will not die. You may grow tired, but you will not faint because the one who is greater than you is holding you up. Greater is He that is in me than He that's in the world. He's holding us up this morning, church. So you don't have to worry. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't lose faith. Lay hold on eternal life. This last scripture, I want you to be able to proclaim this scripture on your way out of this life and into the next. It's what Paul told Timothy. He said, I have fought the good fight. I fought it. And I finished the race. And I have kept the faith. Well, finally, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not just to me, but also to all that loved His appearing. Amen? Yeah. Let's stand together this morning. Y'all better come sing a song if you, wanna, if you want to. You don't have to.
I would just tell you this morning that we're in great need of a strong faith. I don't know what days are ahead of us. I don't know what trials will come. But listen, mine may be different than yours. We all may face a similar one. We all may face separate ones. But whatever comes, we'll need a good, strong faith. Amen? A good, strong faith. How is your faith this morning? Without it, it's impossible to please God. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't even know the Lord. Would you consider with me for a moment as we bow our heads and begin to look deep into our hearts, would you just consider with me for a moment, are you really a Christian today? Are you even in the faith? The Bible says examine yourselves to see if you be in the faith. Are you in it? Is there any desire in your heart to be a Christian? Why don't you make that profession of faith this morning? Why don't you come and surrender your life to Christ? Our church can't save you. I can't save you. But Christ can save you. It'll be by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Do you believe that He is this morning? That He is everything that He says He is? Are you ready to become a diligent seeker? Why don't you tear out of there and say, I want to be a Christian this morning. I want that more than I want anything else in this world. God will honor that. But maybe you're here this morning as a believer and your faith has grown a little stagnant, a little weak. Maybe you just need some strength. Maybe you're just tired, battle-weary, you've been facing those battles. There's no shame in coming to the altar. Remember what he said? Just lead me to the rock that's higher than I. He's right up here this morning. You can come and kneel down at an old altar. Get right here at the rock that's higher than you. Find some strength for your soul. Do you need to come this morning? Now's the time to come pray. I want your heart to be clear. I want your minds to be clear. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to have the strength you need for the battles that lay just ahead for you. I don't know what they'll be, but they're coming. Anybody else want to come to the altar this morning before we pray together? Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much this morning. We praise you.